next and we're back welcome to recovery in the middle ages the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life love and recovery i'm net x i'm mike and boy do we have a show for you today on rma back in the deep dark recesses of castle grayskull we return for a much anticipated interview with prolific writer ultra runner musician and all-around brilliant recovery thinker mishka shulabi today on a very Special edition of R M A. It's not Shibali. It's Shibali. <laughs> I was calling him Shalabi. Oh shit! But no, it's Shibali. You're right. Is Mishka Shibali. Are we sure about that? Shibali. I like saying it because my voice is. Be lower. nice if we knew the guest name. Shubali. Shubali. Yes. I said Shalabi. It Shalabi. is Shubali. It's, it's Shubali. Uh, so welcome, everybody. Um, it's sort of a miracle we're all sitting here right now. I feel like all I've been two s- of us. The, the weirdest <laughs> thing is we're sitting next to each other facing in the same direction. Yeah. So what are we looking at? <laughs> I'm looking at the in TV. Empty terrarium. Should I put the TV on? Wait. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lizard in there. Oh, there is yeah, a lizard. Yeah, there is. It's my son's leopard gecko and another one in there. Interesting. Yeah. And Castle Grayskull is an awfully uh, sophisticated name for my basement. I, I like it because it, it's a He-Man reference. I grew up in the 80s and oh. He-Man was the big homoerotic action cartoon. So, that of we course, all... that fits for our show. Exactly. Because, you know, that's what we're all about that. Well, it's a demographic that I feel like a lot of guys our age remember uh, He-Man. The uh, what demographic? My, You know, how old am I? 43? Oh, I'm yeah. in a different demographic, you know. Yeah, what were the cartoons you watched when you were, uh, you know, eight to t- eight to ten or so? I mean, we watched uh, like what was Bugs the big, Bunny, Bugs Bunny. So know, you were all, all Looney stuff. Looney Tunes, and and you know there was none of these. But those are the terrible cartoons, like the Transformers, like the ones that like they weren't like really animated. It was just like a picture, and then they'd show another picture, <laughs> and it like it wasn't like I mean, there was no craft that was involved in those cartoons. Yeah, yeah, it could be, but I mean, know. we also had like. Spider-Man and Aquaman and all that stuff. Yeah, the Super Friends. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We used to watch reruns of Super Friends in college, stoned, you know, and we, we thought it was of course. the funniest thing, um, listening so, to the canned laughter in the background. So we're going to have to do the show differently yeah. because Mishka has, he's a busy man. He's got places to go, things to do, don't people to do. I yes, don't know. He does. And um, so we got to call him at, or we had to do this thing with him where he was Zen casting it. Yeah, uh, yeah. At 620. So I think I should just read the introduction. And then if we have any extra time, <laughs> like his introduction. Well, because I don't want to do it with him on the phone. No, but I, I did want to say that this episode oh, yes. of no. Recovery in the Middle Ages is brought to you by Recovery in the Middle Ages Patreon. It's a members only subscription service featuring Discord, private message, chat, and video meeting meetings uh, that we haven't gotten to yet. Um, <laughs> it's like having a recovery support family right at your fingertips. It is, uh, yeah. We do extra shows, like we're going to post the video version of this interview today uh, only on there. Uh, so go to recovery. Uh, no, don't do that. Go to patreon.com slash recovery in the middle ages to learn more. And this will be an interesting show. We're uh, like, like Mike said, we're, we're out of order. Up. We're out of order. Um, but maybe you'd like to Welcome, all the monsters listening. Yes, welcome to all the monsters listening stateside, around the world, down the street, across the table, and right next door. 
Next door, my neighbor's got a big Trump flag. Yeah, hey, him too, man. Him too. Welcome all. Welcome Settle all. in. Buckle up and get ready for excitement and comedy, tragedy and intrigue, mystery, and so much more. Where can they find us, Mike? I don't know. Where can they find us, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> We're all backwards. Middleagesrecovery.com. Find us there. Find us on your favorite podcast platform where you can listen to our podcast. Yes. Join the Inner Sanctum. Uh, and Patreon, and also in the Facebook group. Go to the Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Please join our recovery support and Munster Hangout Den on the private Facebook group found on our public-facing page under groups. I think we've been more clear about this because yeah. I noticed more people have joined. Yeah, it's so cool. We've got so many new people on there. I've been a little sidetracked the last week or two, but we're pretty active on there. So if you, you want to talk to us, um, or any of the awesome monksters that are participating. It, it's been a really cool experience getting to know everybody. Um, it's really cool. So come on there. You know, we and, should uh, also mention that we have weekly recovery meetings chaired by the great G Money Smooth and the lovely and talented Aaron on alternating weeks or as they deem it necessary. If you're having trouble finding it, please email me, apparently. Yep. Mike R at middleagesrecovery.com. Always Mike I R. will send you the secret codes for admission into the the world of the Zoom meeting. Yeah, I get a lot out of those uh, meetings when I'm able to get there. And usually I am. And if I'm not, you are. Most of the time, we're both there. I'm really looking forward to being there tomorrow. Um, Sunday, well, Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, Super Bowl I will not, Sunday. I will not be there this week. I have to go to Pennsylvania. Well, I will represent the duo. Okay, great reviews will be read on the air. The best place to do that is on the Apple Podcast app. But we will take it where we can get it. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> Uh, if you like what you hear, give us five stars or whatever the equivalent is in, uh, on your favorite platform, Spotify. Yeah. Oh, poor Spotify has been having some problems lately. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we got a review. Yeah, we got uh, a review. Why don't, we re- why don't you read that review real quick and we'll save the Ryan update yeah. for uh, maybe we'll s- after the thing. Yes. Okay. So we've got a brand new uh, review, a good one. Uh, the person who left it, Left their name as J.A. Amarillo Sky. I uh, like that. It's a five stars. Thank you very much. And the title is Relatable and Entertaining. I came across this show while scrolling the many podcast options out there. I've listened to many and still have a few I follow, but Recovering the Middle Ages by far takes the cake. Takes the cake. Which is why we're pre-diabetic. Nat and Mike are real, relatable, funny, and keep <laughs> the banter around family and real life entertaining. Yet they pull it back down to reality and all seriousness about topics surrounding recovery when needed. Mm-hmm. Other podcasts can be depressing and hard to follow. That's very true. Um, we're not depressing or hard to follow. Apparently we're not. very simple. Yes, you keep it simple, <laughs> stupid. Right. Uh, this podcast makes recovery as challenging as it is to fun to be a part of. Have a listen. You'll be drawn in and won't look back. Terry, uh, I guess S. Terry S. from Kansas City, or Missouri. from South Kansas City. Is no, that, I, I have no idea. I don't either. I, is there a South Kansas City? I think uh, there is. Not sure, but thank you so much for that awesome review. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, you know, keep them coming. It really helps us. We've got like 104 reviews on iTunes now. So that's why people like this are finding it. Um, yeah. You know. So the other reason they like finding us is because we have scintillating and fascinating guests that yeah. grace our... Um, our home, yeah, this our was podcast an, home. It's an unintended consequence of doing this podcast is people want to come on the show and talk to us. It's well, really cool. Yeah, we went out and got this one, though, because yeah. uh, we, some of our listeners, I guess, were reading 
his book, uh, The Long Run, was it? He's got, or I, I Swear a, I'll Make It Up to You. There's a few that they yeah. could have come in on. I Swear I Make It Up to You was the first one I read. But in the Patreon, people uh, had mentioned they were reading the book, and I thought, you know what? Let me just let me just drop old Mishka an email and see if he wants to come on and talk about any of his latest projects. And uh, yeah, he was receptive. So uh, yeah, we're going to do it. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I've been pretty thoroughly ensconced in his uh, audible work. Yes. Which he reads himself, so it's it's very, very he's, interesting. He's a very very interesting character, and I think he hangs around the Joseph Naus, uh, Amy Dresner yeah. uh, recovery crew. Uh, he mentioned back west knowing Amy Dresner in one of his things I was listening to this week. Yeah, I I just heard that. I was listening yeah. to Cold Turkey, which is his uh, latest was, book, yeah, and was. he mentioned you know when he was talking about. AA just sort of being a breeding ground for like sexual harassment. This is what Mishka <laughs> right. said, not, right. not me. Um, but he mentioned uh, Amy Dresner, who is, you know, a 12 stepper, but she was also commenting that she mm-hmm. had had some pretty bad experiences. So that was kind of what he was talking about there. Yeah. I mean, I, I was excited to talk to him just simply about his, um, you know, he, you know, I, I could do a, I'm going to do a, a, a full on bio of him, but uh, I had, heard of him from the rich roll podcast he he's like a buddy of rich roll and he was on there a few times and i listened to him he he and uh john joseph former lead singer of the crow mags yes like, they're I like a him. little triumvirate like really? whenever rich comes to new york they they hang out and they record something no kidding yeah. I, the uh the dopey interview with john joseph is excellent if yeah. you haven't heard that i gotta I'm gonna check that out maybe we'll get him on here too. that would be something but um so i was kind of like oh that's great you know he's got a uh he's one of the highest um uh, sales for Kindle singles. Um, when he wrote about the shipwreck when he was uh, in 24 years Does old. Does that mean it was the the book book or the audio? No, it's a uh, it's just a, it's only on Kindle. Interesting. So yeah. it's not like there's no hard copy to buy. Um, and uh, and he wrote an autobiography which expanded on one of his earlier Kindle singles, and that was uh, I swear I'll make it up to you. And um, really interesting. I thought, book. oh, that's going to be interesting. And then. I had no idea, but he wrote a book in 2020 on uh, how to recover uh, called Cold Turkey. So, yeah. uh, and then I read that and I was like, that is the book that I always wanted to write. It's so good, guys. I mean, I listened to it and his delivery and, and the points he makes. You may not agree with all of his uh, methods, but it's very hard to disagree with uh, with the facts that he's he's laying down. Uh, very, 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 very solid. And uh, I learned a lot from it. A lot of what he's saying is stuff we've already been talking about. Yeah. So I feel like he's stealing our thunder a little bit, but he's an actual published author and we're just yeah. kind of the people reading it. Yeah, we just blabber into microphones. Right, so right. So um, really excellent. So we're going um, to get him on the horn in a minute. So uh, I'll do his little bio intro thing. I've had to gather, he's got like five bios out across the internet, depending yeah. on what you know, because yeah. he's sort of a polymath, right? He's yeah. you know a writer and a musician, a musician and a recovery guy. So um, here we go. After receiving a uh, expensive MFA from Columbia University, Mishka Shubali promptly quit writing to play music. He lived out of a Toyota minivan for a year, touring nonstop, and has shared the stage with the likes of The Strokes, The Yeah Yeahs, Yeahs. There's three Yeahs, three there, years, and The yeah. Decemberists. His uh, Kindle singles for Amazon have all been bestsellers. He writes true stories about drink, drugs, disasters, desire, deception, and their aftermath. His work has been praised for its grit, humor, fearlessness, and heart. 
Mm. The Long Run, his mini memoir de- detailing his transformation from alcoholic drug abuser to sober ultra runner, is one of the best selling Kindle singles to date. In uh, 2015, Mishka released the album Coward's Path on Invisible Hands Music, which has been praised by Johnny Depp, among others. His first hardcover memoir, I Swear I'll Make It Up to You, was published in 2016. Um, you can find Coward's Path and all of the, uh, his other music on Bandcamp. Just uh, search for him there. In April of 2020, Mishka published the audible book Cold Turkey, a step-by-step roadmap for approaching the harrowing first month of sobriety. Himself 10 years sober, Shivali addresses the slippery nature of alcoholism and the messy, anxiety-ridden process of making the decision to stop drinking once and for all. For Shibali, there's no one-size-fits-all plan. He refutes the notion that one that the one and only solution for those struggling are 12-step programs and provides a guide for those who want a different approach to getting sober. This is a how-to for those who are serious about taking their lives back but are ready to define their sobriety on their own terms. Mm. Um, Cold Turkey offers real practical and intimate advice for those struggling straight from someone who has been there. So, oh, that was pretty good. Thank you. I think you nailed it. Shubali. Shubali. I'm starting to feel bad that I said it wrong at the beginning. <laughs> I would not feel bad. You should get in the frame. Yeah, should I get in frame get in here? Get in the frame here. Or maybe if I move this back. The problem with seeing the video, though, is I can't stop gazing well, soon you'll be looking at him into my eyes. he'll be there, too. It's like I can't I, stop looking. I, I, can't. I was on a Zoom meeting for two hours today, and I looked at myself and paid no it's attention a- <laughs> to anything else that was happening. I was like, ooh, if I sit like that, I look like I'm a well, I'm a There's moron. a handsome man on your computer, Mike. <laughs> and then when you when you talk, like in these meetings, you're just watching yourself. I know. And you're like, it's like you're acting. It's uh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I got to put my hands down now for yeah. the video. So what time is it? The time is? 6.18. All right. So how does this even work? Uh, bear with us, folks. As, I think uh, he has to come into the waiting room. Okay. But let me make sure he didn't send me any. No? Okay. Hey, we had an email, actually, that we, we were thinking about reading. Yeah. Do you want to wait on that? Well, no. Let's do it. We have two minutes. Yeah. It's, it's not a long email, is it? Um, the email was from, I recently recommended that Oh, one. yeah. This is from Meg F. Uh, she writes to Mike R. at com. She says, I recently recommended your podcast to an older guy in, in hospital. She must be she must British. Be British. Uh, with severe alcohol holic withdrawal he'd been sober for long stretches this was the third time in 30 years that he woke up in the er <laughs> old enough to have some cognitive impairment stuff but seemed more uh like just probably downed a few brain cells over the years i've met people they call that wet brain sometimes. yes yes uh sobriety is gr- is a great height to fall from uh so demoralized uh so demoralized humor would probably be the only leverage out of that right deep humiliation for him now. Anyway, I appreciate what you're doing. No one is funnier than someone who used to drink and quit. No one. Uh, thank you so much. I agree. Yeah. I, I, I've never laughed so many belly laughs talking about recovery and the crazy shit I got into. Maybe I'll cry about it later when no one's watching, <laughs> but as we are getting it out there, you know, uh, it is fun and funny and cathartic. It's funny now because, yeah. you know, we're here. Because talk we about are. it, and we're not wasted, right? Right, like you're not still in Brooklyn with no pants, waiting for the uh, guy to come with your crack. You know, <laughs> that was the Bronx, but yes, the Bronx? point taken. Yes, yeah. So, um, so buttons. Yeah. So here thoughts. we are <laughs> dancing, tap dancing around 
Um, See, oh, this is you know. this is very. We, we don't even need to do this because we're not a radio show. No, we could like cut out the rambling. We could, <laughs> all that shit. I think we might. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'll ask the. I'll see if the editing guy. Um, there were some interesting um, points. I've been listening and listening to uh, Mishka's work over the past couple of weeks, and um, he just he says things over and over again, different things that I'm just like. <laughs> Yes, yes. I mean, there is some repetition. Many, many things. Only because, you know, the long run is a compilation of his work, and then you read the work, and you're like, oh, I remember that. Well, I found I found a review uh, that somebody wrote on Good the Goodreads app yeah. that I thought was funny, and I was going to read it to him, but I'm like, I don't really know the guy, so I don't know if it's going to insult him. Yeah, but let's the, read the review. Yeah, the re- review is, this book was a bit of a difficult one to get through, as it was very repetitive and oftentimes redundant. Mm. Get it? Re- oh, he did it. The review, the review is also is repetitive. It's redundant. You might even say double it's redundant. Repetitive. Anyway. Oh, that's very funny. I found it to be, you know, uh, he brings up a lot of great points. I like how right before he goes into kind of railing on AA, he says, he, he has a whole chapter where he talks about how he loves the people in AA, mm. but the program, not so much. And if you're one of those people, to please stop listening now. Because <laughs> then he just eviscerates yeah. the whole thing. And... You know, he's not wrong on a lot of what he says, but I think um, he's missing a lot of the good experiences people do have. Well, in AA. I don't know. And he, I, I he kind actually of agree with 99.9% of the stuff that he had to say. Yeah. I mean, it's just in how you look at it. Uh, you know what? Let's, um, you to, let's just take a quick break. And uh, we'll be right back after those words. Hopefully with Mishka Shabali. There. Oh, it's Mishka. I had <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Who, me? <laughs> the, so glad you I, made it, man. What's up? I um, Sorry it took me a minute. I, uh, I, I didn't realize I had to like download Chrome and new computer and all the stupid yeah. shit. We like to make things complicated for our guests. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, good. I'm all about it. Let me, um, give me one second. I'm going to turn yeah. off the overhead fan just so it's not like going the whole time. Yeah, sure. Sounds yeah. good, though. Oh, look at that guitar. What is it? <sighs> It must be nice to live in a place where you need a fan in February. Ugh, I know. Because <laughs> it was, we definitely it was don't hot need today. The, I went outside and uh, I, ran, I had to run with my shirt off because it was uh, it got too warm. Well, what is it in Phoenix uh, now? Like 110? <laughs> the soon. <laughs> the every like the it, in January you have these just like it, idyllic days. And it's like, man, it's such a beautiful day. Like, I'm so glad I live here. And then in the back of your mind, there's just this like, it's like PTSD where you're like, the heat is coming. Yeah. It's coming. <laughs> hey, if you're in Arizona, you know, I have um, the sister-in-law who's very interested in all of the vortexes in, in Arizona and all that. Are you near all of those energy vortexes where you tap into parallel dimensions and energies and things like that? Is that near if, you? <laughs> If your question is if I've ever eaten too much of an edible, then the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they need to make them either uh, strong or or good tasting, but you can't you can't do both. Yeah. That's just inhumane. The I um, I have no idea what these uh, vortices uh, you speak of are. The I mean, Phoenix itself is a vortex. I mean, it's basically an open air strip mall right. where a uh, <laughs> culture goes to die. So. Um, the yeah, I feel like I'm in the middle of it. Awesome. But, um, I think 
I think all that fun happens up in Sedona. Oh, it does. And, yeah. Uh, my my sister lives up that way. She lives in Cottonwood, which is yeah. the poor Sedona. And it's like outside. Did Sedona. they go spin off the earth and look for things in the sky? Uh, it sounds like a dream. To yeah, me. I mean that's the UFOs land in the hills. It's all that kind of stuff. Mishka, we're so glad that we we're able to talk to you, man. I've been like completely, just like I said in the email, I'm, I've been ensconced in uh, in your work, basically. But I haven't been reading it because I am bad ADD and I'm doing a million things. So I listen and re-listen to three, I think the long run, Cold Turkey, I listened to a couple times. And, um, and I swear I'll make it up to you. So I've got your voice just like circling in my head for like two weeks now. Yeah, it's so, been, it's been a lot I'm of Mishka so over here. <laughs> the, um, I, I feel really bad that I like blew off your super sweet email. But one of the things that I've found is that the, um, the more you talk before a pot, it's like yeah. you oh, start, yeah. no, you're you right. know, I, I did a podcast with Rich where I like went and picked him up from the airport in New Jersey. And then we talked for like, you know, an hour and a half or two hours on the way home and then got dinner and stuff. And the next mm-hmm. day we went to do the podcast and we were like, we, said, we, we have it. nothing to say to each other. Like we fucking, we worked through all, you know, I mean, we, we put it together, but it was, it was a stretch. So I, I found like the best thing to do is just like, just fucking hit record and go for it. Oh yeah. We never even talked to we we live we're neighbors and we're friends. So sometimes when we're we're doing something not podcast related, like picking up the kids, you know, our kids hang out, and we start to get into a good conversation, I'll stop them and say, wait, save it for, yeah, the podcast. Save it for Friday. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only reason I sent you that email because because really the book just kind of hit me over the head. And I'm like, you know, this is the book that I've been meaning to write for, you know, three years because I I quit much the same way that you did. I mean, no AA, uh, none of that, and and even even your little the little tips and tricks that you had in the book. I'm like, well, shit, that's what I did. You know, it really yeah. was uh, was a an approach, and it's an approach that not a lot of people in this recovery sphere really have. You know, there, there's still a lot of there's a lot of AA, and 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 you know, if not, then you know, still there's some smart recovery, and there's all this other kind of stuff. But but this, the whole do it yourself ethos doesn't seem to be really one that um, that but, people are comfortable uh, espousing. You know, so you I, it was very through. refreshing. Yeah, you cut through all the bullshit. I mean, it was great, Mishka. I really really enjoyed cold turkey, especially. Thank you, thank you. I um, it's you know, it's funny because when I started um. I mean, when I got sober and then when I started writing about it and, and when I wrote Cold Turkey, I I really thought um, or I was told that I was an outlier. Um, and then touring around the country, I met so many people who are like, oh, yeah, no, I, I, I did the same thing. The And then come to find out that, I mean, I honestly think everybody argues about the data and which data they choose and stuff like that. The I really think that most people who have gotten sober have done it the way that I've done it, mm-hmm. which yeah. is just to say, like, this is fucking bullshit and I need to stop, you know, the because um, I've, I've met so many people who did it on their own or, you know, went to one AA meeting and they were like, this, you know, this isn't for me. I'm just I'm just going to do my own thing. The um, but I'm but it's interesting to me that there is so much sort of parallel evolution that so many people um have uh you know i've sort of found the the same techniques um that i found uh for getting sober and staying sober the and also um don't let me having written what i wrote prevent you from writing what you're gonna write (laughs) oh yeah we were ready to scrap it completely like he did it he scooped us (laughs) no because the you know so many times i'm like 
about to write a thing and people are like, oh, that reminds me of this movie. You should watch it. And I was like, I was like, great. I definitely won't because <laughs> the, there are so many times where I've had an idea and then, you know, somebody says, oh, you should watch this or you should read this or whatever. The And then I, and then I'll go and watch it and I'll be like, ah, that's close enough to what I was going to do. And then I talk myself out of it. Mm-hmm. But, um, but really like the, there's a million stories and everybody's experience is different and everybody speaks in different ways, you know, the, um, and, uh, you know, in, in human culture, it's not a zero sum thing where, um, every generation has their, their CCR or their Nirvana or their Ramones or their, you know, this, you know, blistering three chord rock that you use to mow the lawn. Right. You know, the, um, and the next band that comes out that's doing it, people are going to be like, they're, they're so derivative. And it's like, fuck you. It's not for you. It's, <laughs> it's for angry, like 12 to 14 year olds exactly. and it will be transformative for them. So don't piss on it. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. Um, but you know, it, it kind of brings me one of your critiques of AA that I, that sort of resonated was, uh, and it's something I've been wrestling with on this podcast and everything is like, there's always this tension between the idea of sort of being recovery oriented or recovery forward, uh, or, and developing like an obsession with mm. like not drinking, you know, in other words, finding your identity in the thing that you're not doing. It's something I spend a lot of time thinking about. I mean, as the, in the podcast that we're doing, it's gotten a little bigger than I expected it would get because, yeah. you know, we just got together and started doing this to keep us both sober and because we found that we lived in the same town and we had yeah we like talking to each other we're like someone else should hear this but (laughs) you know but sometimes i feel like the more the more that people listen really like the longer they listen like the bigger like almost a failure the podcast is because it's is it keeping people entrenched in this i in the thing that they used to do and preventing them from going out and like living a full more authentic life because they're stuck in this recovery space you got any thoughts on that I, I mean, I really think that your um, your obligation is only to yourselves, mm-hmm. right? The, that, um, you know, you started, that it sort of started because you, the two of you were having meaningful, meaningful conversations and it's because it's something that you are invested in. The, for everybody else, they can come and go as they please, mm-hmm. you know, the, um, and people, um, I'm completely bored with sobriety mm-hmm. and, just the entire conversation, the, um, and that's exactly where I wanted to get, you know, I wanted to, um, I wanted alcohol to just not be a factor in my life, like something I didn't think about and, you know, didn't care about and, you know, that I had a life independent of alcohol. And, you know, in order to get there, I do think that you need to be, you know, invested in sobriety and self-care and sort of healing yourself and, um, you know, fixing the things you fucked up. The, but I also know people who, um, you know, 15, 20 years into sobriety are, are like, so, um, so white knuckling it and and so sort of grimly obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. The, and it's like, you know, you know, you know that we're all going to die, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Obsessing that. Every, obsessing over that every minute of every day will will prevent you from living. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's you know? a, a huge point that people miss in the rooms. I came from a background of a lot, a lot of AA, um, and ultimately that is not how I got lastingly sober. So I understand it and I get it. And you know, Mike is a big 
he's kind of the anti-AA and I'm sort of a, you know, maybe we don't need to tell kids there's no Santa Claus. Like if they're getting something out of it, you know, I don't want to tell them, you know, they're not because maybe they are. But you also, just like what you do is explaining that, you know, there are a lot of other ways you can even do it yourself. And just to be more honest about that, it is not the end all be all. And like, if you get something out of it, like you said, <laughs> right before you were about to do your AA chapter in cold turkey, you you uh, you say something like, you know, if you're one of those people who I really like in AA, you might want to stop listening, <laughs> you know, before we go. Yeah, because, you know, the, you know, I, I really struggled with that because, um the I was like, you know, what's my what's my goal? What am I writing? Why am I writing this? Who am I writing for? You know, what do I want to accomplish? And my goal with that piece wasn't to tear down AA. My goal is was just to support and facilitate people getting sober and staying sober. The um, which is why you know I I you know I pointed out a lot of the things that I like about AA. The and um, and and gave that disclaimer of like if AA is working for you then then stop listening you know then <laughs> because now I will I, I will critique it the but um you know I want to state again for the record if you get sober from listening to my book or if you get sober from AA or if you get sober from meditation or collecting GI Joes I don't give a shit you know, whatever works for you, if it's working, I support you. I'm in your corner. I want you to keep doing what you're doing. You know, the, that's the bottom line. I have no, um, I have no pride about it. I don't get royalties from people's continued sobriety. If they right. use, <laughs> you just you know, want a high five. I like that comment. Yeah. Yeah, man. I know. Uh, I Sobriety is like the new thing, you know? So I'm seeing all these things of, Oh, sign up for the the monthly, you know, the low monthly fee of forty bucks, and uh, you know we'll send you inspiration. Man, that's the that's fucking bullshit. It is the worst. I can't say enough bad things about that, man. The uh, rehab and people fighting addiction that should not be a. Um, for profit business. Yeah. And you talk uh, a lot about that on how, you know, they're built to, you know, they plan on you coming back. Like it's the rehab industry, which is a, a big topic that um, we've talked about a lot on this show, you know, and how it's, it's basically built to spill like everyone's favorite band from the nineties. But, you know, it's, you know, speak a little bit about that. I mean, people do need some kind of treatment. I think, I don't know, maybe they don't, but like, where does the rehab, you know, industry or where do rehabs fit into like uh, in, a, in a better way for recovery? If anywhere. If it's possible. Because, because really the, the statistics on rehab success rates are Which, fairly dismal. Yeah. I mean, should they just be seeking a doctor of some kind? I mean, you talk a lot about, you know, see your doctor if you're able, you know, like where should people really go? Like by and large. The, a lot of the reason why I said see your doctor if you're able is because uh, Audible insisted on that. Really? <laughs> yeah. The, the, the yeah. Audible like for, lawyers. <laughs> yeah. For liability and shit, you know. The, um, and, you know, I mean, I, I know so many people who have like gone cold turkey on fucking heroin, meth, alcohol, you know, like all kinds of shit, you know. the um, And I know a lot of doctors who have prescribed drugs that they shouldn't have and that they know that they shouldn't, you know. So, right. the, um in general, I think doctors are good people. In general, I think they give good advice and good care. The 
um, you know, in general, you know, I mean, it, it's, I think it's good to be sort of critical and thoughtful about Western medicine, but if I break my arm, I don't want a packet of herbs. Right. Want, you don't want to go to a Sedona yeah. vortex to heal. Yeah. Take the ER, you know, the, <laughs> um, I'll give him a fake name. The, um, but, uh, the, I don't have a solution for, um, you know, for the, the, what I think is the rehab problem, the, you know, and I haven't been to rehab, so I, I can't say that I'm speaking, you know, with an authoritative, um, you know, with authoritative information about it, but the, I mean, look at it this way, a rehab is a business, right? We all yep. exist under capitalism. It fucking poisons everything. Mm-hmm. And when you make the, um, when you make a rehab, which should be a one and done, uh, procedure, um, when, when, when that happens under capitalism, it's no longer profitable. It's no longer good business for it to be, um, a one and done thing. You want repeat customers, right? right? So that's, um, that's That's a horrible idea when you're talking about addiction. Well, yeah, I mean, you interject the profit, the profit motive into a healthcare situation, whether it be addiction or any other situation. I mean, people don't make money uh, when people get well, they make money keeping them sick. Yeah. And Evan Haynes talks a lot about this. Uh, He wrote a book with Bob Farr's called Can America Recover that we've been reading. It's a big book, but he gets right into that. It's funny you mentioned uh, capitalism just as a problem that is affecting treatment because his whole thesis is basically like that America is designed essentially to, you know, for capitalism. And that is the problem. Not necessarily addiction itself. It's, you know, what we have going here in America and the way things are set up makes it impossible. Yeah. The, I mean, don't get me ranting about this. I mean, (laughs) capitalism does poison everything. You know, 20 years ago when I was in grad school, everybody was upset about the ruthless consolidation of all these little publishing houses under, you know, sort of several big publishers the, and uh, publishing becoming a business, you know, the, and it was no longer, and people shit, you know, shit on gatekeepers now, but it, it, back then we called gatekeepers editors <laughs> and they, they would read books and they would be like, we're going to publish this because it's a work of art. Mm. And they would, the, and sometimes they made money and sometimes they didn't, but that was the nature of publishing. Now publishing is the Kardashian cookbook or (laughs) funny shit. My dog does, you know, and it's, we've lost so much depth of, of, of writing, of literature, of human expression. The um, publishers are looking more and more to sort of reliable, you know, multi-million sellers. The um, so I think with um, you know, with rehab, the, you, they want to see, they want to see repeat customers and they want to see high dollar customers, you know, so, so you'll, you have these rehab centers that are like the, you know, where the, the rates they charge are ridiculous. The, you know, because of the broken American healthcare system, the, um, and then there's also all these luxury rehabs. Yeah. I've always wanted to go to one of those just for vacation, you know, dude, it's, it's like therapy. I, I would get hooked just to go (laughs) (laughs) like the, um, yeah, this, they look a lot nicer than the motel sixes I stay in when I'm on the road, you know, the, um, and I posted something shitting on them and somebody was like, you know, that's not fair. You know, 
rich people need to recover too. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, they can fucking recover their at their core. Rich people are people and, and recovery and, and addiction and recovery. Um, it's your privilege. Can't buy you out of the suffering That's of right. addiction and getting sober the, and you know, it really, um, you know, it should be like, uh, Jesus, you know, the first Christian Bale Batman movie, you know, where they're all just sort of like monks with their bowl. And their yeah, I was just watching that with my seven-year-old this morning, by the way. Oh, awesome. So, yeah. It, but, it, you know, it, you have these, these, um, uh, these rehabs, right? And, you know, they, they're basically selling the fable that, you know, if you do this for 30 days, at the end of this, you'll get your whatever, your degree, and you'll graduate, and then you'll go home, and then you won't drink or use anymore. And, and, you know, and if you, if you fall on your face, well, you can come back if, as soon as your insurance recycles and we yeah. can pay for it. So in your, um, you know, and I swear I'll make it up to you, you know, I, I t- um, or no, wait, actually it was in, uh, it was in, the, it was in the other book when, when you were, uh, talking, telling the story about how you wanted, you would quit and then you went to a music festival in Colorado and you were, you drank at the festival and then you came back and you were writing about that and you wanted to put it in, in, I think both books and you got some pushback from your publisher who right. said, you know, no, we like the story arc the way it is. Like, <laughs> you know, you, you know, you don't, we don't, we don't need the relapse, the messy relapse in there. Yeah. That stood out and, to me too. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, so did you, did you push back on that? I mean, obviously you did because it's, it's in the, uh, you know, in your latest book. Yeah, the I mean, listen, I, I I don't fault the people who are pushing me to um to to sort of consolidate it because um as a writer and as an editor, the that's sort of the that's not even like a corporate thing. That's just like the tyranny of narrative <laughs> where we want to condense everything down to one experience, you know, the this is the a day in the life of this person, you know, but all the important things that happened to them throughout their life are going to happen on that one day, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's sort of the blurring of fact and fiction, you know, the, um, and I think that, um, I remember it was, there was like a Norwegian writer Nausgaard who was, you know, the big deal in whatever, 2013, 2014. And it was just sort of these like hypnotically boring journals of his life. The, <laughs> and I think that there is, um, there is an argument for that. Um, but you know, you could also say I tried and tried again to get sober and I just couldn't do it. And then tell the story of the time that it stuck. Right. You know, the, um, you know, what I tell people is, you know, I figured out that I was an alcoholic when I, when I was 17 and I made up my mind to quit. And sure enough, 15 years later, I did. Yeah. It took me nine years to get my first year too, but I hear that more than I hear that white light experience story. I hear stories like it took me eight years to get my first year, you know, and um, some studies that I had read about just because we're reading uh, Can America Recover, it was cited that some, some uh, studies showed that on average it takes people, you know, about nine years of trying to get that lasting sobriety and that it's a process. And I relate to that because that's, that was my problem. I was in rehabs and going to AA and I was reading about Bill W's white light experience. And I had a sponsor who said I was a rehab and 
doing yoga and all of a sudden I didn't want to drink anymore. And I couldn't, and I think you also say this, I wrote this down in, uh, in cold Turkey about like, don't die waiting for like God to save you. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's a great point. The, one of the things, hold on, I'm going to, I'm going to open a seltzer. It's going to sound like I'm opening a beer. Yeah, right. To know <laughs> sure, <just> seltzer. <laughs> still, <laughs> 12 years sober, still one of the perfect sounds in the world, right? I love uh, it. <laughs> one thing about the Bill W. White Light story that is it's often, is often left out is that uh, he was on Bella Dawn. Yes. I don't know why time. people leave that out. <laughs> I've, he was I've seen a lot of on. white lights and a lot of other colored lights when I'm under the influence of a very powerful hallucinogen. The, um, and also the, you know, um, you want transformation. You want that lightning transformation. Yeah. Fucking smoke DMT. The, <laughs> um, the, I, I've done it. It was transformative. It changed me in a way I didn't want to be changed. The, um, oh, it was funny. helpful, you know, but I do think that, um, that is sort of how the human brain works or the, or the, you know, the, um, the human brain works in regards to sobriety, you know, is that you have to have, uh, you know, maybe nine years of epiphanies of like, this can't go on, right? you know, yeah. and then, and then finally you're like, okay, fuck. All right. You know, the, um, I, I worked with, uh, Mark Lanigan, uh, editing his memoir, the, and uh, we were sitting in his backyard one day and he was telling me this story about like um, Courtney Love putting him in rehab. And he like, you know, he went through this like sort of horrific, like four days where they just put him down um, to get him off uh, crack and heroin. And then he like came to one day, you know, on a chaise lounge and like they'd cut off all, you know, he'd waist long dreadlocks. They'd cut off all his hair and his his arms were bandaged from, you know, wrist to shoulder, you know, the, all the abscesses, you know. The, and he sort of like looked up at the sky and sort of sent a probe out to God. And he just felt this like lightning bolt epiphany and he fell to his knees and he was like changed. And yeah. I was like, holy shit, Mark, that's, that's fucking incredible. So like the, that was it. That's how you got sober. And he's like, oh no, no, no. I mean, there, there was, I, I discovered methamphetamine after that and there was crack <laughs> and there was like, but that's when I made my mind up to, I was like, fuck, you know, the, I mean, we do have to end the story or we have to end the book on that. Right. But also it's not true. You know, the, it, it is true and it's not true, you know? So you said um, that you, no. you had your, an ex your first white light. I think uh, you said when you were 17, is that, is that true? Yeah. Right. I, I just heard that. Um, so tell us about that. I mean, that was just the first quote unquote white light experience. Um, the first of many. The, so I was, I was, um, taking the bus back home after going to class and I just felt the, I didn't feel hungover. I felt like I had been laced with poison or like the, you know, my, my body was made of, of like wires and there was just being pulled too tight, you know, that like just so, so fucking hungover. I was like, I may die from this, you know, the, and then, um, I started, I thought I had like Fleischmann's whiskey or something, you know, some like plastic mm, jug whiskey mm, at home. Yum. And there was like an inch and a half left in it, you know, the like, you know, caramel coloring and fucking wood alcohol. 
And, uh, and, and I thought of it and instantly like a dog, my mouth started to water. Wow. I, I felt like a, fl- a hot flush in my chest. I started to sweat and I got a half on <laughs> like I got, I was erotically turned on mm. by the thought of the same thing that had fucking ruined me for the day. Wow. And, um, I was just like, and I thought of that scene in alien, you know, where they're like exploring this, you know, this distant world, the, and then one person goes too far and they're too cavalier and then they bring something back, you know? Mm. And I was like, I, I fucking did it. I, I like, I, I crossed the line, you know, I went too far. The, and I went home and drank and I was like, no, nah, I'm fine. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I remember you saying, uh, you know, you knew you were alcoholic since you were 17. Not that that really changes the behavior for a number of years. I mean, I, I had a similar experience. You know, I knew I had a, a perverse relationship with alcohol from the time I probably, I took my second drink and, but then, you know, it took, you know, 40 years of off and on before, before you finally put it down. And, and, you know, it's like you said, I mean, there's no straight lines in nature and there's no straight lines in recovery. Right. So, so the journey is, you know, you take a roundabout route to get to that destination. <laughs> um, you know, and the, the other thing that I, I like <clears throat> when you said uh, you have to set the parameters for your own sobriety, because you mentioned like the DMT and the nibbling on a mushroom every now and then, and, um, you know, using a little weed and like, you really sort of have to like define what your sobriety is for yourself. Right. right? And stick to that. If you can not, not like understand what, what the prevailing thought about people telling you what sobriety is. Right. Yeah. The, let me talk about that a little bit. I, a friend of mine posted something on Instagram today about like, you know, the, um, you know, for people to sort of respect all forms of sobriety, you know, the, um, and, you know, he talked about, um, you know, his sobriety, you know, or, or, you know, that, that people reducing their usage is sobriety and we need to respect that. Mm. And I don't think that's true. Mm. I think that if, you know, if you're a drunk and you go down to, one or two beers every once in a while, that's recovery, right? That's, that's not sobriety. That's right. Right. The, if, if you're, if you abstain from alcohol entirely, um, but you smoke weed or you, the, um, or you eat mushrooms or smoke DMT or, you know, any of that stuff, then you are sober and you are in recovery, but you're not clean. Right. I have friends who are heroin addicts who still drink. They're clean. They're not sober. They are in recovery. Right. So for me, I think that, um, I think that clean and sober are both binaries. The sober means abstinent from alcohol. That's what the dictionary says. I've fought this fight with AA people all the time. (laughs) Clean means you don't use drugs. The, or in specific, you don't use the drug that you've become addicted to. Mm-hmm. Recovery mean, do, recovery does mean reducing your drinking. It means doing, um, doing your drug of choice less frequently or not doing, you know, th- your drug of choice. The, um, 
so I, I, I think, you know, recovery is, is very much an analog, you know, and there's, um, people are, in, are, you know, in recovery from sex addiction and eating disorders and stuff like that, you know, the, um, but you can't be sober from food. You know, the, that's right. one of the things that I think makes eating disorders so slippery. Right. You um, have to eat, right? I mean, the, yeah. A buddy of mine told me once he was like, man, you know, I'm not a hardcore alcoholic. Like you are the, um, you know, I, my problem is food, you know, and I wouldn't compare it, you know, to yours. You've definitely had it harder. And I was like, are you fucking kidding, man? Like hmm. you have it way harder because yeah. I could, I could just stop and never drink again. The, and there's challenges with that. But if, if you're addicted to food, <laughs> you have to, you have to eat food. Yeah, so you, you have, have to learn how to, the, Right. redefine your relationship. I mean, that would be like, I, I have to drink one beer every day. Oh God, this sounds like a nightmare. I have to drink yes. one beer every day and only one beer. Right. Oh, that would suck. That would yeah. be the worst. Nightmare. What are you going to do with one beer? Yeah. <laughs> There's no it, point. That is the one useless beer. number of beers. <laughs> Zero beers or 4,000. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, right. That's, that's kind of where I come down on that. Yeah. Um, it's a nightmare. The, uh, I, what I liked in, also in your book was like, cause when I quit, um, I just started rediscovering marijuana because it became legal in uh, Massachusetts. Right. And I was up there for work a couple of times so I could swing by a dispensary and pick some up and I would, uh, come back here and then I decided to quit drinking, but I still had all this weed in my garage. And I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to leave that weed there and I'm not going to drink anymore. But if I feel like I need to do something to get outside of my own head, Break glass. I know I got that weed in the garage and I can go over there and use it. Isn't that a reservation? And I ended up not needing it, but just knowing it was there uh, made me, the quitting drinking way easier for me because I saw an escape valve that I could have to, I could alter my consciousness if I, if I needed to without alcohol. And I think that maybe that's the place for like marijuana in recovery, you know. Maybe I'm hearing. So I think many that's more like it's though. to me. It's almost like medically assisted treatment, you know. Yeah, so, but you're prescribing yourself. Yeah. The what what you're describing. I mean, you know, two things I want to respond to there. Uh, what you're describing is harm reduction. Yeah. The which um, was first espoused by AA, and what they talk that what they say is. Um, eat a donut, eat a cookie, eat a piece mm -hmm. of cake, right? The, um, your body processes alcohol the same as sugar. Mm -hmm. So your, you know, if I'm honest, you know, my first, you know, my first drug and my worst drug was sugar. You know, the, when I drank a lot, I didn't crave sugar. And then when I stopped drinking, I would like eat the fucking two pound bag of M&Ms. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I went through that also. Yeah. Getting clean <laughs> yeah. off heroin too is for me was like that too. Sh sugar, chocolate. The, so the, so AA actually espouses harm reduction, but they refuse to recognize it. You know, <laughs> the, um, William Burroughs in junkie wrote about, um, how, when he had to kick, um, when he had to kick heroin, he would get a bottle of mezcal and just drink his way through, the withdrawals, mm -hmm. the, um, Lanigan offered, um, that, you know, I feel weird about putting this out of the world, but one of the ways to get off heroin is with methamphetamine the, <laughs> that <laughs> using of a sort. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, but, you know, but 
so I, uh, I will always stick up for harm reduction. Um, the, I, I think that's, you know, I, we have this goal of like being abstinent or being perfect and it's bullshit. You know, we're human beings. Like I, you know, the, um, I was talking, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and I was like, yeah, if you don't drink like a bowl full of black coffee every morning, like, are you even a sober alcoholic? You know, because <laughs> like, okay, I fucking got so into coffee, you know, since I got sober the, but I, I want to talk too about what you said about having an escape valve, you know, because the, um, I went through the worst year of my life, uh, since I've gotten sober and I feel like, um, I'm out of it or I'm almost out of it. The, but, uh, I almost got committed last summer, the, you know, because I uh, started seeing a therapist and during the intake, uh, when they say, you know, answer these questions, honestly, don't fucking answer. No, these yeah. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't be too honest. You're not leaving for the, 72 hours, right? The, yeah. So they, they were like, uh, you know, have you ever, you know, thought about suicide? And I was like, man, fucking listen to one of my records. I made a career out of thinking <laughs> about suicide. The, so I almost got committed because of that. But, and then, you know, I was talking to my psychiatrist about it later and he was like, well, you know, when you have these feelings of suicide, the, you know, just try to back away from them. And I was like, actually, that's, that's terrible advice. <laughs> and, and here's what I do, right. Which is I, um, I, I would argue that if I, if I want to commit suicide, it's my right. The, I, um, I have no children. I, I, I think if you have kids, you lose your right to commit suicide. If you brought people into this world, you're committed to staying here until the end. Mm-hmm. I haven't had kids. The, which means I, it's still an option for me. Um, so what would that look like? Well, my mother would find my body. The And she has told me point blank, the Mishka, if you kill yourself, it will break my heart with sadness. I will be sad every day for the rest of my life until I die of sadness. Yeah. It's like, okay, mom, like I get it. You know, the, so beyond that well you know what if i do kill myself well what then well you know no no more dogs mm-hmm. um no more tacos no more spaghetti the no more like you know driving in the car and hearing one of the good Skinner songs and then they play another one because it's two for tuesday and <laughs> You know, the, and suddenly I'm like, man, fucking dogs and tacos and like dad rock like this. I, I love this place. You know, the it's life's worth living, you know, the, so, um, for me, it's helpful to, um, not to back away from the abyss, but actually to peer over the edge and say, well, you know, well, what would that mean? You know, the, and then that's, that's I, like the I, oldest recovery trick in the book is to play the tape forward. Right. Right. Absolutely. Version of that. Or this is one of the things that I, I, I struggle with, with AA is that, you know, the, I hate the structure. It, it, it makes me angry. Um, but so much wisdom has come out of the rooms. I, I love and support every single person in AA, even if they hate me, even if they hate my guts, the, um, and some of the, 
you know, some, some of my best friends, some, you know, my sort of like sober heroes, you know, people who, um, have been tremendously helpful for me, you know, since I got sober and, and staying sober. And then, you know, through this, you know, sort of like rough last year, the, um, they're all, um, AA addicts and NA and, or sorry, AA alums <laughs> and addicts and, you know, um, or they've gone through NA and so I am benefiting from that, that body of work, you know, that, that accrued wisdom from, you know, from all those different people. It's the, it's just the structure that fucking drives me nuts. But it's ubiquitous too. Like, you know, we're critical of AA too. I try and, you know, be supportive of, of it, you know, from what, the experiences I had, you know, I get all of the criticisms and I agree with it. But for me, when I have people reaching out to me, just fans of the podcast, and they say they don't know what to do and maybe they live in England, the first, and you, you mentioned this too in one of your books, just like you still will send people there because right. it's a ubiquitous, you know, support group of people who will, you know, maybe I don't agree with all the dogma and, and all of that. Maybe I don't even go myself, but I know that at least the person, no matter where they live, can find a group of supportive, you know, recovering alcoholics. And so it's kind of like a, you know, pros and cons, you know, like how far do you want to take it? I mean, that, that's the thing that, um, if, if there's anything that I miss, about, I mean, I, I went to AA for a while in the nineties and I, I'd strung some, a little bit of time together then, but the one thing that I say that I do miss is a supportive sober community, which is why we started building this podcast to sort of create one. Um, yeah, which we're doing, which is, is amazing to me. We have recovery meetings where it's basically just topic based or we discuss what happened on the show, but you know, if there could be more of that, I know smart recovery is out there, but I don't know, like it's so hard to tell someone, you know, where to go, you know, when the AA is pretty much, you know, the main brand, you know? And so like, what do we do? How do we, do we create a competitor brand? I don't think it's might not be possible, you know? Yeah. The, um, it's frustrating to me. It's maddening for me. The, um, I mean, it's especially too, because like, you know, people are like, Oh, you know, I don't want to go to a, but I know I need help. The, where can I go? And I have no answer for them because I, I never did smart recovery or any kind of, um, meetings or, you know, or groups or the, any kind of, program really the you know there's um there's there's some fundamental things about the human brain that i've sort of been like tracking with my friends you know the um you know one is that uh you know they had a group of people um playing chess against the computer and then they had them rate their performance against the computer. And the worse people did, the better they rated their performance. <laughs> which which kind of shows that like democracy is never gonna work. The <laughs> because it, it's like the dumber we are, the smarter we think that we are. You know, the um, you know, and, and there are other sort of like biases, you know, we always talk about like the CD underbelly, which is when which which is to say the ugly thing is the true thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the ugly um, truth. Yeah. The, but truth can also be beautiful, mm. you know, the, but whenever we see a bad thing, we're like, oh, now I'm seeing the truth. You know, maybe you're just, just seeing a bad day. Right. You know, the, um, but so we, we do have these sort of inherent biases, 
you know, and I think that, um, you know, the structure of AA is rooted in Christianity and Catholicism. Yeah. And the bait and switch that you mentioned. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, so I, and I think we've seen how successful Christianity has been as a religion, the, um, that the people, the people, would, you know, it draws in and the people who, um, who sort of come into the fold, as they say, um, are very passionate and they want to spread the gospel, right? The, right. I think that's the same with, you know, with AA, you know, whereas the, um, you know, people who are in smart recovery, I don't think that those are the people who are like, I'm going to call you on your shit, man. You know, or that's just your <laughs> disease talking or whatever, you know? Right. The, um, so I, I think it's like the different types of people are drawn to different structures and the people mm. who are drawn to smart recovery are very sort of take it or leave it kind of people. Interesting. Uh, but, um, but who knows? And I'm sure I'll get hammered for expressing that opinion here. <laughs> we get hammered every week. I think what, what's been really great about our audience is they've been very open-minded with us. You know, our format is we're asking questions out loud. We don't pretend to have answers necessarily. We're, we're exploring this mm -hmm. and, and I'm, I'm open about AA as much as I am about, you know, recovery, Dharma. And it's been so interesting for us to study these different modalities because then we can step back and, and see some of the, the things that are similar and then kind of forming our own way by seeing all these different things. I think um, but you can't expect everyone to do that. You know, there's you need like a lowest common denominator helping thing, you know, something where, you know, everybody can can get in on the ground floor of it. And take it as, and I think AA is kind of like that, you know, it's like recovery kindergarten and you can take it for as long as you like. But for me, I grad, I'd like to think that I moved on to, um, to more, more. Uh, the only things. problem I have with that approach is that you sort of internalize all these assumptions that are baked into the AA, the AA program starting with the first step that you're powerless, which is right. one that I never agreed with. Right. And, and That's I, another and I, one. And I think giving over your power like that is a, is a dangerous thing to do. And I love that point too. Yeah. And, and, and it goes on. I mean, you know, like you said, Mishka, it's a bait and switch. They bring you in and they tell you the doorknob can be your higher power until you get a little further in. And then now it's actually Jesus. You yeah. Know? Is a doorknob <laughs> saving my soul? Really? Is that what's going on? So, yeah. you know, but, you know, if it works for, that's the other thing is like our whole, our whole thing is, you know, the best recovery program is the one that works for you. So I'm not yeah. going to, yeah, you and know. figuring out how to measure that. But like you said, it's sort of, you know, what is recovery to you? You know, if your life is improved, you know, like I have friends that used to smoke meth for seven years, their life was in shambles. Now they smoke weed and guess what? They're doing great. Am I going to yeah. tell them they're not in recovery? Of course not. You know, yeah. their life has improved. The, so for me, it's all about like narrowing the aperture. The if you're on a deserted stretch of highway and your your car overheats and dumps all the coolant, the you know once the radiator cools down, well, yeah. If you have coolant, if you have premixed fifty fifty, then that's what you refill your radiator with. If you don't have coolant. You put water in the radiator so you can get to the next town. If you don't have water, you pee in the radiator. Like whatever you have right. that you you want to use that 50-50 mix, right? The but if you don't have it, you fucking improvise right. to get to the next town. And then you can start making the refinements, right? The so if 
um, if 90 meetings in 90 days is it works for people, then uh, then shut me up. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the, do it. but the reason cold turkey has done so well is because AA isn't serving everyone. The and that's the people who I'm speaking to. So you're getting the, a lot of good feedback, Mishka. <laughs> yes, and um, the <laughs> so that uh, that book was my first New York Times bestseller, which oh, is wild. Congrats, man, that's the, so awesome. Thank you. And the the ratings on Amazon and Audible are whatever you know, four point four to four point eight. You know, in that range, I think. But then if you read the first review. The first review is always like, man, fuck this guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, he shits on AA. He's, he's a danger. You're the, a danger. Um, danger. <laughs> people are like, oh, there, there's some good information in here. If you can get back, you know, past his liberal bullshit. You know? <laughs> 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 so the, overwhelmingly, it, a lot of people have, have listened to it. A lot of people have left, you know, number ratings the but the reviews that people find the most helpful are the ones where people trash me you know mm. the, um <laughs> so are people reaching out to you personally are you like do you have a chance to interact with your readers and and help any of them or are you really hands off cuz there's so many people or do you not have any interest in doing that whatsoever yeah that's the other thing he probably doesn't <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately i have a lot of contact with my readers oh yeah you know the <laughs> And when, um, when I first started publishing through Amazon, I tried to respond to everybody. The, um, I, it's funny when shipwreck first published, I got one Facebook friend, new Facebook friend out of it. Her name's Amanda. I still remember her. <laughs> the, and then when I published the long run, I got like 4,000. Wow. The, um, and a lot of people, uh, reach out to me asking for help or you know, sharing their stories or whatever the, um, and the, before I wrote cold Turkey, I would try to respond, you know, at, at greater length, the, but an integral part of my story is that I didn't reach out to anybody. I did it on my own. I didn't have anybody to talk to. I didn't have anyone helping me. And I did it, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is not to say I'm a hero or that I'm an, even an outlier, but just that when people say you can't go it alone, they're fucking wrong. No, you're you a can't. living proof. It's you're the, living proof. It's, yeah. it's possible. The, but you also and, and, said that you kind of think you made it more difficult for yourself. Uh, in the, in your book, you said, you know, yes, I did it on my own, but looking back on it, maybe that wasn't the best move. Yes. Let me get to that. Okay. The, um, so when I get messages from, from readers about getting sober, the, what I tell them it, you know, is basically you can do it. It's doable. Hit me back when you have 30 days mm -hmm. so I can congratulate you, you know, the, but um, some people want to get sober and some people want to talk about getting sober. Yep. And those are not, actually not close at all. They're opposite the, because if you, if you just want to talk about getting sober, you want to keep drinking hmm. the, and, um, some people talk, talking about getting sober while they're drunk 
is foreplay. <laughs> and I have no interest in that. Yeah. I've uh, gotten some of those. Yep. Yeah. So the, I don't respond to everybody. Um, the, a lot of times I say, you know, sort of thanks for reading. You can do this. Keep going. The, because, uh, I'm not an automaton. I'm a human being, you know, and sometimes I'm shopping, you know, or <laughs> I'm playing with the dog or like I'm, I'm doing shit, you know, the, and I don't, or I'm just on my phone. I don't have, I don't have a, you know, long, you know, you get the thumbs up because I don't want to be typing on my fucking phone, you know, the, nice. um, so I, you know, one of the things that I stated explicitly in cold Turkey is that, you know, there, there's no follow-up. This is it. This is the whole thing. This is everything that I have to say on sobriety. You read it. You can you can listen to it again as many times as you need to. The but if you are reaching out to me, you didn't hear what I said, right? Uh, which right. is basically don't reach out to me, right? You know, unless you make that pretty uh, clear. <laughs> yeah, un- unless you have thirty days, in which case, fuck yes, please tell me. You know, the, because I, I really do think that there is no easy way to get sober and, and, and you can't, there's no way to life hack it and you shouldn't look for that. It should suck. Yes. Remember how much it sucks. You know, the, um, Nathaniel, what, what you said about, um, the fellowship of AA, um, yes, I do wish I had people who were doing it with me. Um, if I had people, you know, that I had people to talk to or more people to talk to, I do think that, um, you know, I, I've sort of been hard headed my whole life and the, and when I made up my mind to get sober, I was like, well, being hard headed got me into this problem. It's going to get me out, you know? And, uh, it did, but also what that did was to um, to foster more hard headedness, right. you know, to just to make me more, to make me say things like "Don't contact me" for people who are like struggling to get sober. Like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, what a jerk! You, <laughs> <laughs> you know the, um, you, you know. I mentioned before, you know, when I smoked DMT that it, it changed me in a way that I, that I didn't want it to change me. The one of the, I've been an atheist. I've been comfortable being an atheist my entire life. When I was, I think I was like six years old living in deep river, Ontario during the summer, walked out onto our little driveway. I think I was wearing my, my little green running shorts. I, I wasn't wearing, even then I wasn't wearing a shirt. I think I had my skateboard. I looked up at the sky and I was like, nah, <laughs> you know, and since then I've never, never wondered. I've never been, I've never been curious. I, it's just, it just seems to me like something to me that's like clear, you know, the, um, and then when I smoked DMT, I saw things that I can't explain. Mm. And the, those um, little men, the little, the little the DMT, the elves, DMT elves, <laughs> people always say elves, like the, like they don't have tremendous power over you. You know, I saw like 10 foot tall, uh, sort of uh, alien elephant predator scientist. Uh, You're not you know, the only one uh, to say that, by the way. Seriously. And, 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 and they were not friendly. Mm, interesting. Um, but they were working together. Um, and <laughs> That's the, terrifying. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was, yeah. The and the end result of you know I've done a lot of hallucinogens and you know the a lot of times it's sort of like you know the static from the TV the mm. or you know you look at your hand and your hand looks like a tree branch yeah, and it spins or something. Your hand kind of looks like a tree branch anyway. Right. You know, it's not a huge leap. The just maybe a difference of perspective. The, um, you know, with DMT, this entire reality dissolves. Wow. You know, the, and, um, you see things that are, in, you know, incredibly meaningful and just that we don't have a language to describe, you know, the, to say, you know, the color of, um, you know, these alien scientists skin was, uh, I'll say it was time, you know, wow. or it was French or, you know, so just huh. things that don't, yeah. um, that our brains can't grasp. Um, and I came out of that first experience smoking DMT of realizing that I wasn't, that I was no longer atheist, hmm. that I am now like a dude with a silver ponytail and a fucking arrowhead on a leather thong around his neck, wearing, you know, wearing sandals saying that I'm agnostic and I don't know, but it feels like we're all connected by some great life force, man. It courses through everything, you know, quantum entanglement, you know, uh, all connected, even the uh, yeah. scientist aliens from a parallel dimension, yes. you know, that's really cool. Mishka. I'm, I'm super interested in hey, that buddy, kind of thing. How about next weekend? What's that? Oh, you want to do it? <laughs> Only if Mishka doing? does it with us. <laughs> I'm, I'm down. Uh, I, I need a I good cleaner through the brain again. So, um, how is the uh, how is the running going? Oh, this is an area we've running. not touched on yet because, um, you know, in your in in uh, in cold turkey, you, you sort of mentioned to uh, as maybe a bit of advice, like. You know, when you're quitting, give yourself some some time, chill out on the couch, eat snacks, whatever, you know. Um, but like I found like I, I could do that for a day or two and then I got out and I started running and it was the running that basically saved my ass. I mean, I've been running for, I don't know, 35 years. Yeah, now. this guy runs all the time. I tried. So I tried. when I first quit, you know, I, I'd smoked crack in the Bronx for like six years and I was drinking like a fish and, you know, I was a mess. And in the early 90s, I kind of pulled out of that nosedive. And the only way I was able to do it was by running. I started a block at a time and then, you know, kind of expanded my horizons, ran a couple marathons, stuff. Never did the ultra thing. Um, but I found it immensely um, helpful to me to stay quit for a period of time. Uh, then I continued to run and drink simultaneously, which was interesting uh, because on the one hand, I felt extremely virtuous for running while at the same time I was poisoning myself on yeah. the other side. Um, but, but it, you know, it got me kind of in touch with um, a little bit like, you know, I started, I had a little fixation with the ultra movement and I started reading all the books by ultra marathoners. And then I realized that, you know, there's a huge percentage of people in the ultra world that are ex-addicts, alcoholics, whatever. Interesting. And, you know, wh why do you think that is? What do you think it is about that particular sport or that particular way of going all out? <laughs> I guess I'm answering my own question that attracts people, you know, like us. Yeah, you shoot down the runner's high idea when people say, you're just doing it for the runner's high. Like, that was great. The, um, man, the... I've so many times in my life I've heard like, oh, you're just exchanging one addiction for another. Right. You know, yeah, well, just, so what though? I yeah. just want to poke those people in the eye. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like just you're just you're telling me you have a, a fundamental 
lack of understanding of like what addiction is, you know, by your, by your reasoning, I'm also addicted to breathing and right. sleeping and eating and pooping and like just all the things that make up life. You know, the, um, I do think that, um, yes, there are a lot of, you know, um, you know, people who have struggled, struggle with addiction who then turn to, uh, ultra running, you know, ultra endurance events, the, um, my great friend, Dave Clark, some days I wonder if it was the life that he led after he got sober that killed him and not the life that he led before, wow. you know, the, did he, um, did, did he destroy his body from, you know, cocaine and alcohol and obesity, or did he destroy it doing the fucking insane, you know, races and events that he did? You know, the, there are definitely times where I feel like I've done my more harm to my body, um, from running than, you know, from drinking and doing drugs. The, um, here's the thing though. If, if, um, if ultra running harms your body, the, it brings a lot of good into your life. Mm. Drugs and alcohol harm your body. And they bring, a, let's put it this way. They put a, they bring a lot less good in, into your life. They bring like maybe good times, but like, I can't remember any of them. I mean, I like, I remember like the, right. yeah, that, that felt good sitting at the bar for 11 hours or something, but I can't, I, I don't, you know, that's about all I take. I remember from it, you know, the, um, you know, I do think, you know, that people who are, you know, who want to go to the extremes in um, one way, are happy going to the extremes in, in another way. Um, but I fucking support them in that. Oh yeah. The, um, that is also harm reduction. You right. know, my, um, I've been super frustrated with my running lately because the, you know, I was, I was like sort of training for a marathon and then every time I started getting up in miles, the, my hips would bind up, my back would bind up. Like I would, you know, I would just sort of be injured and then couldn't run for a while. And then it had to sort of try to ramp up again. The, and then got to a point where I was just doing like, you know, three to seven miles, um, on the regular. And I was like, man, you're not even a fucking runner anymore. <laughs> you're, you're like a, you're like a jogger, you know, the, like, just put some leg warmers on, you know, and uh, just hating myself for it. And then I went back and listened to, I think it was, a, you know, one of the ones I did with, uh, with Rich Roll. And he was like, oh, what are your running goals? And I was like, you know, I hope to one day become one of those people who just runs, you know, three to five miles, three to five times a week. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, shit. I, I, <laughs> you achieved your goal. You did I it. Up and I did it. <laughs> you know, the, um, I did what's today, Thursday. I did six and a half miles yesterday morning with my buddy, Ed, the, we run together Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then I did like three and change today, uh, with Sadie, the, um, my dog wants to run every single day. That's so cool. Uh, The, and she just, the, I remember going to Tijuana, like 
fucking 20 years ago or whatever. The, and as soon as you got across the border, there would be like, you know, Mexican vendors who are like, come on, bro, I got what you need. And they would sort of, then they would sort of turn and like walk down, you know, as if you were following them. Right, right, right. And right. My fucking dog does that to me around the house, like <laughs> all day. She's like, come on, bro. I got, you know, the le- leash is right over here. You know, the, yeah. <laughs> so if I, you know, if I don't run with her or throw the Frisbee for, you know, go out and throw the fr- Frisbee for her or something like that, at least once a day, the, then I, I feel like I'm a terrible human and I'm letting her down the, but it, and it annoys the shit out of me that she wants to run every day. But also that's why I got a dog, you know, yeah. so mm-hmm. the, um, the, uh, the running is, is interesting because, um, you know, I've, I've done distance races and then I, I had to kind of ratchet down from the full marathons like 10 years ago. It just, I, I, number one, I have three kids. I just didn't have the time to train and to do it properly. And number two, like, you know, when I crossed into the four into my forties, like thing, I wasn't bouncing back as, as well, you know, and now I got a torn hip labrum. I got arthritis in my knees, whatever, but I have to get out there because if I don't get out there, well, everything up here goes, goes, nah, it's not the same. What about, so everybody says, <laughs> it's not, it's not the same. my father tells me this all the time. You know what? The best thing is you got to do swimming. It's easier on your joints. Yeah. What do you think about that? Mishka? Would you ever, you know, degenerate into a swimmer? It's an not ultra the swimmer, way. even the, the, you know, people are like, um, you know, what about lifting weights? What about yoga? The, um, <laughs> yoga winds me up worse than anything else. It doesn't <laughs> calm me down. Just like sitting there in silence. I'm like, yeah, you're not burning, thing to say, you're not burning you know? any energy. You're just uh, concentrating it all. <laughs> the, I don't know. Hot yoga will kick your ass. The, if you haven't done it, go do that because the, you will be just I did it. I did it once around. in a studio in Tribeca when I was still drinking and I was yeah. hung over and I was with all these hot 20 year old girls and me and my sweaty fat ass in there. And I, I did it once and I almost passed out and I'm like, I'm enough of this. <laughs> it's never again. Yeah. The people talk about like locker room conversation. I was trying to think about the last time I had a locker room conversation and it was just like at yoga being like, bro, I'm sorry. I sweat so much. <laughs> you know, that, like, I'm a moist guy, you know? The, um, but uh, this is the thing about running you fucking go somewhere when you do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. The, I love that feeling. It is transportation, right? It transports your brain and it transports your body. The, you know, I, I always, I like, I run along the canals here and there's always like tons of like homeless people out there, homeless people, junkies, the, um, folks who are mentally ill and like struggling. Um, the, a lot of trans women, a lot of trans women of color, the, um, and I know all of them and (laughs) they all know me, (laughs) you know, the, um, it's, it's such a weird thing. Um, as a New Yorker to like go out and say hi to people, but (laughs) I think I do it just because I'm a contrarian, you know, the, um, so I just, I try to say hi to everybody on, on my runs and, you know, good morning. How you doing? You know, the, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and that's been awesome. The, um, I, I love boxing, the, you know, that's always been super rewarding for me. And that really, when I was writing my book, I was, um, or when I was writing my memoir, I was boxing a lot and the, I found that it calmed me down so much that mm. I couldn't do it nights I had to write because hmm. I would go box and then I would come back and I'd be like, ah, fuck it. I'm like far enough along. You know, <laughs> and you know, I needed to preserve some of that anxiety. 
so that, uh, you know, so that, that I would write hmm. the, but, um, the, um, Mike, how, how old are you? You're, you said you're in your forties. I'm uh 50, 54. Oh, okay. The, I'm in my forties. He's, he's the old 40s. man. I'm right. just getting I'm the, started uh, in yeah. my middle aged uh, yeah. journey here. The, it only gets worse. Plenty, the, plenty of pain to come. <laughs> I'm, yes, yeah. I, my hip has been bothering me lately. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm 44. I'm turning uh 45 fuck next week nice um, and <laughs> uh the i have an intimate relationship with my physical therapist now you know mm-hmm. the um i think i feel like i've spent more money on physical therapy now than i used to spend on drugs the <laughs> um but um you know dry needling and um you know sort of stretching and strengthening my hips the and sort of changing the the way i run um it has helped me dramatically, you know, where the, I'm virtually pain-free. Um, not not to the, geek out on this at all, but are, are you, uh, did you switch to like a four foot strike or are you, or are you, did you get into any of that chi running or any of that kind of thing? Yeah. The, um, I, I, from the wear pattern on my shoes, I think I'm, I'm sort of like uh, a midfoot runner now. Mm-hmm. The, um, and, and I'm happy with that the the heel strike thing never made sense to me Mm. the um you know it sort of felt like i mean i guess if you're sprinting but but it it just felt like you're sort of breaking you know as you're running the um and and also like not using the sort of suspension system that you're equipped with the um i uh, I have anterior pelvic tilt, which basically means I stick my butt out too much. So mm-hmm. the, yeah, I've been concentrating say. on, you know, when I, when I run of keeping my core engaged to, to sort of bring my pelvis forward. So that'll screw up um, your back, but, right? The, the pelvic tilt. Like yeah, the, back. yeah. But that's tricky because I, I need to um, tense my abs to bring my pelvis forward, but I still need to roll my shoulders back so mm-hmm. that I run with sort of like correct posture because as a tall guy, I'm always hunching the, so it is tricky sometimes. And I feel like, you know, when I'm like, you know, moaning and groaning, like yeah. plugging away, going down the road, the, the people must look at me and be like, <laughs> <laughs> why is he running like that? You know, the, um, but I found something that works for me. Um, I have a, I have a waist leash for my dog, the, which I would definitely recommend if you run with a dog, yeah. because the, <laughs> if, if you're, holding a leash, you know, it, it just jacks up your stride completely. The, and having a waist leash too, like Sadie, like tugs and, you know, I get an extra, yeah, you know, a little, little boost. It's yeah, so cool yeah. to have your dogs yeah. running with you. I have a pug and, uh, so I'm not going running with that dog. Attacks me uh, every time. Um, you, um, you started running in, uh, more running in really the city. Well, uh, yeah. Are sorry. we going to keep talking? I, I'm about sorry, I've lo- we've lost half the audience. Yes, uh, I can hear them snoring from here. I was kind of trying to segue into a New York discussion, but you get you you got you're looking at something. I've on got your one list, thing. So I wrote all of these notes. Okay, just one thing. Bringing it back to recovery for a minute. Um, <laughs> you said something really that stood out to me uh, in, in cold turkey, and you you were saying like every time you have you know you were talking about powerlessness, and you said. Every time you have taken a drink, you made the decision to take the drink. It's not an, it's not like breathing, you know, it's not an unconscious process. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that, you know, cause that, that speaks to powerlessness 
and how much control and power do we really have? You know, and saying it's a disease sort of admits we have no control, sort of. You know, what, what, what do you have to say about that, Mishka? <laughs> the, um, so, yeah, the, um, when people say, how do I stop drinking? That's not a good question. That, that's, they're not literally asking, how do I stop drinking? Um, you know how you stop drinking. You literally do nothing. The, the quest, you know, you just, you don't go to the liquor store. You don't go to the bar. You don't fucking, you, you just don't drink alcohol. <laughs> but if it were only that easy drinking. though, right? Uh, well, it, it is that easy, but the, I think the question that they're asking is what do I do so I don't crave a drink or what do I, what do I, um, what do I do instead of drinking? And I would suggest running. Have we talked about running? <laughs> to bring it back to running, right? <laughs> the, um, no, and listen, that's a huge question, you know, because the so much of our, our, our current problems, I think, come from our modern life, right? Where the um, what's killing us is um, diabetes, hypertension, uh, and heart disease, right? The, those are all, um, that's excess. Mm. Few Americans are dying of starvation, right? Or dehydration. The, um, we have malnutrition, but not because there isn't enough vitamins and minerals of, or protein available. The, it's because we eat fucking Cheetos and Mountain right. Dew. The, and that sounds amazing. And I would, <laughs> I would, I would love that right now. The, but, you know, it goes back to the thing of like, you know, the dumber we are, the smarter we think we are like that. Yeah. Um, we don't want what's good for us. Right. The, um, you know, and that's why I would argue in favor of editors and curators and yes, sometimes gatekeepers, because the, um, you do need somebody telling you to eat your vegetables. The, so the, our, I think our modern problem is what to do with um, the excess fat available to us, the excess sugar available to us, the dizzying array of intoxicants, um, and what to do about the, the spare time that we have. Right. Mm -hmm. you know, the, that when we were living on the plains, you didn't have six hours to kill after your shift mm -hmm. or whatever. And, and where you were like, well, fucking, what am I going to do? You know, I'm bored. Um, the, you know, there have been plenty of, you know, I have a master's degree in, in, you know, in writing the, I've been a student of writing my whole life. The, I fucking watched so much TV and just the idiotic, like transformers versus predator, just the dumbest, <laughs> like sci-fi explosion, you know, dinosaur pornography just it's the worst you know is i'm just killing my dumb brain the but i really think that is the core issue you know is that we have um we have too much time and we have too many dangerous things to put in that empty space so you know you do have to find things that are that are meaningful for you you know on um on, on my whiteboard with my, my job list, I have my reward list because the, because I, ha I had it on my job list for a while, play with the cat, 
and tell her you love her the best and play with the dog and tell her you love her the best, you know, the, and then I was like, how have I made this into a fucking job? Like that's the best part of my day. So now it's on my reward list, which is, you know, to say, these are the fun things that I get to do. The, um, I, uh, you know, so, you just, you have to find something that's meaningful to you. You know, the, um, for me, it was, um, some of it was vintage guitars. The, um, you know, one of the guitars I, I got early on in a crazy score was a 1954 Gibson ES-175. Nice. We're guitar players and I know oh, okay. of what yeah. you speak. Uh, that is something. Yeah, it was it was untouched. It was pristine. Wow. $50. Wow. $50. 50 bucks. <laughs> yes. A guy who had shit, no idea dude. what he had. Wow. Uh, he, he wanted a hundred and then when we opened the case and saw it had a broken string. He was like, ah, oh, it's all fucked up. Give me 50 bucks. <laughs> That's... Wow. The, and the while that lived under my bed, I would like lie in bed, you know, at night getting ready to go to sleep. The and I would think, you know, the first recorded instance of um, you know, the use you know, the the word rock in the title of a, you know, a pop song was uh Rocket 88 by Ike Turner and Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley and the Comets which I believe both were 1955. The, and then the class of 1955 was um, Jerry Lee Lewis, Johnny Cash, um, Roy Orbison, Luther Perkins, and Elvis Presley. The, so this guitar proceeds by a year rock and roll. The wow. thing that's the most meaningful to me in the world. That's awesome. The, and, and I just had it under my bed and I would just think about it and it would like make me happy, you know? Yeah. The, so I think stuff like that is super important. What about yeah. this puppy? Who's this puppy? Uh, this is another thing that's super important oh, is just no. hugging your dog. This is, <laughs> this is my dog, Sadie. The, and, uh, wow, I, I, I didn't, I really didn't want a dog and I got lured into it and now yeah. it's like the, um, you know, just one of my greatest joys. Oh yeah. yeah. Dogs can be the light of your life. People do, you know, who are quitting, they approach us and they say, well, what do I do with all this time that I have? And, and the thing is like, when you've spent so much time, um, in bars on bar stools and, or drinking in the closet, whatever, you don't even know what you're interested in. It takes you a while to kind of yeah. figure out what that is. Get your interest back you find know? out what you want to do. Yeah. And then you could do like what I do and com- get completely overwhelmed and take on like 20 hobbies at a time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you don't have any free time. On <laughs> the overload. Yeah. The, I mean, I think my thing was that I, you know, I initially I wanted to do everything, you know, I, I, I just wanted to do all the things. And yeah. then, um, as I got older and I got just, you know, sort of, defeatist and nihilistic and worn down by, by drinking and, you know, just sort of like physic, you know, physically exhausted the, um, nothing brought me joy. And I was, you know, I was convinced that I was incapable of doing anything. The, well, that's the thing. You get that feeling at the end of a long stretch is like, you're, you're dead inside. Yeah. Like nothing is interesting. It's all just bleak nonsense. It's it's like that other quote you said in your book that, uh, you know, I realized that alcohol wouldn't kill me. But, uh, you know, it would just 
diminished me to the point where, you know, death was preferable or something along those lines. And I was like, I, I've been there, man. (laughs) Yeah. That was, that was one of the things where I think, you know, that like, um, suicide wasn't really an option for me when I was, you know, at, at the nadir of my drinking, because I was such a fucked up drunk that it was like, I would have to work for a while to get my shit together in order to commit suicide. properly. (laughs) (laughs) I was so low, like, you know, couldn't even, you know, do that. The, um, but, uh, I don't know, man. You know, it's it's fucking wild. I really. It seems like I can do almost anything now. Um, the I'm learning how to fix cars. The, which <laughs> That's is, awesome. You know, something that I never thought I would be able to do. The um, you know, mostly sort of self taught or YouTube, and uh, I have an outlaw biker buddy who's basically destroyed every truck ever built. So the I can call him and be like, well, it's sort of sounding like our. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, uh, in 2000, 2003, Nissans have that issue with the, you know, yeah. <laughs> you didn't even listen to the truck itself. You just listened to me making a sound, uh, you know, the, um, but, you know, so that's been, uh, that's been really empowering and it, it's really cool. And, and it makes me frustrated too, that like, you know, wow, the old cars are really pretty primitive, you know, and I can't believe I waited this long to sort of figure it out. But, um, well, I mean, you can, you know, if you were drinking, you wouldn't be doing any of this, right? I yeah. Mean, and, yeah. And, and that's, that's the lesson here, right? I'm you just, you stop, lost time. you stop doing the one thing and then you can do all the other things. I've, you know? I have a problem with, I like, just like you, Mishka, I used to be a musician. Well, I am a musician, but I mean, I went to school for it, blah, blah, blah. I was in bands. One of my problems was I would do uh, speed, basically cocaine, uh, or Ritalin in college. And I got so used to like writing and creating while I was using those drugs that once I finally, and eventually I couldn't do anything. I was so fried, but it took me a long time after I got clean uh, to get that inspiration back. You know, it took me, I'd say two or three years of solid sobriety and being clean before the natural sort of desire. Like I would pick up my guitar I would just play some scale studies like every day until eventually I would start playing them and then I would get inspired. You know, it would come and get me, but it took me a long time. I felt like my muse was like still dead long after I got clean. I mean, did you experience any of that? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I still do the, and I think in early sobriety, we tell ourselves, um, that it's a sobriety issue. Um, and I think it is, but it's also just a human issue. Right. It's, and it's, it's just a creative issue. You know, the, I'm fortunate in that I, um, I write music, I write books, the, um, you know, I tinker with guitars, I tinker with cars. So when, um, when I don't feel inspired by one of those, the, I fucking go and do the other thing. Right. You know, right. the, um, and that's the, I think that's, that's the creative life, you know, to, to embrace, um, any creative pursuit is to accept that most of the time you will fail, you know, the, um, as a writer, you're a professional failure, you know, most of the stories that you send out, you know, if you get a, if you're doing well, if you get a rejection, you know, for most times it's just sort of like throwing them off a cliff. Um, 
And uh, the so you have to get used to that. And you have to just sort of accept that that's part of the job. Yeah, and saying. not give up. Like we just, I didn't give up. I, I, I kept it in the back of my mind. I said, I knew I used to write great songs. I'm going to do it again. However that is, however I'm going to inspire myself. And a lot of it was, some of it was doing another creative project. Like you said, you know, in the pandemic, we decided, uh, I owned a sports store for about four years that went out of business recently because of the pandemic. And um, we started this uh, podcast and I took that out as an opportunity where I just dove into it. I, my, all my creative juices were flowing. You know, I was thinking about the marketing aspect. I was thinking about our messaging, just all of that stuff, diving into it. And after week after week of kind of getting my brain moving like that, I noticed that I became more inspired musically, you know, separate from that. But I mean, I feel like it's all part of the same muscle that we're working. The, um, I mean, first, you, dude, you ran a sporting goods store and you don't yeah, like running? Like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 um, but here's another thing that, you know, that I sort of realized, which is that, um, you know, your brain is like your heart. It, it never stops working. The, so how do you rest your brain? The, and the way you, I, the, I think the way that you rest your brain is just by um, focusing on a different thing, right? So like if you do spreadsheets all day, then when you come home, um, you know, put on music that's really engaging to you, close your eyes and just like go into the music, you know, right. the... Um, it's like active recovery for your mind. Bingo. Yep, absolutely. The, um, and thank you for bringing it back to running. The, <laughs> yeah we didn't sell a lot of running shoes <laughs> the, um the you know but one of the things i did when i was writing i swear i'll make it up to you is i was uh fixing guitars and writing so i would write until i was just like oh i'm fried i can't fucking do this and then i would go work on guitars and say like oh okay this pickup is sounding a little muted to me the instead of changing the pickup i'm just going to go from a 250k pot up to 500k and see if that, you know, and then I would be like, oh, the, you know, when they get to this part, then they take a left, they don't take a right, you know? And it's so, so it's like, uh, it's like if you forget a word and then you're like, ah, what's, what's that word? What's that word? You know, the, um, and then if you're like, ah, you know, forget about it, it it'll come to me. And then you let your brain move on. Then you're like trampoline. Yeah. That's the comes, worst. Yeah, the it, thing, you know? it comes like uh, an hour later while you're talking to your wife, you know, like what? Oh yeah. yeah I remember that word. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. So I, I definitely think, you know, think that having multiple pursuits and that whole like left brain, right brain shit, it's fucking bullshit. You know, the, um, yeah. brilliant physicists have also been brilliant artists or, you know, deeply invested in the artistic world. The, um, Leonardo da Vinci was everything, you know, right. the, um, you know, so many people I know who are, um, gifted with, um, you know, math or science or, you know, the, the sort of like hard empir empirical data crunching stuff, the, um, they're also painters or, you know, whatever the, um, so I, you know, I would say don't set yourself any limits and the try to invest in things that, um, you know, that are engaging to you, but also maybe that feel opposite from each other, mm -hmm. you know? 
Yeah, it helps you be a more well-rounded Renaissance man. Absolutely. Um, all right, I'm I'm trying to be mindful of your time. I think you got to get out of here soon. So um, we could I, talk to you all night. Yeah, we definitely appreciate you coming by. But I would be remiss if I let you go without discussing uh, uh, Greenpoint Williamsburg in uh, <laughs> in the late '90s and the early aughts. Uh, I believe we lived in the same neighborhood at roughly the same time. Um, yeah, I was over on uh, like um, Leonard between Norman and Nassau which is sort of right around the corner from that part of the park that you mentioned in your book where all the Polish guys were drinking the vodka in the doorways and stuff. Yeah. Um, the, I, I lived at 735 Meeker Avenue and the, I'm embarrassed because I don't remember what the cross streets were. The, well, let you me see, see the, so you were down by, um, by that park. Um, McGorlick. McGorlick. So I, so when I first, my first apartment there was on uh, Morgan Avenue between the BQE and Norman, which is probably right around the corner from you. But anyway, um, I, I think I, I, I mentioned to you in an email, you know, that we were kind of running around and some of the same bars came up, like the Turkey's Nest came up in your, in your book and uh, something like that. And I mentioned this bar and I've, I've mentioned uh, it on the show before, uh, Cokie's, which was this remarkable little bar. Uh, I think it was on well, not Driggs, the other direction. Cokies. Anyway, but you, you would go into Cokie's and you would buy like this horrible stepped on Coke from the DJ. And, and then they had a confessional in there and you go into the confessional booth and you can do the keys in there. <laughs> and I met the weirdest cross section of New York in there, like cops, firemen, oh, like, shit. you know, lawyers, doctors. It was crazy. And uh, you, you, you said that you were, you would familiar with that place or you had heard of it. So I, I just want you to ve- sort of validate its existence because no, I don't think anybody believes you when I tell I think them. Mike's making this up, Mishka. What, what do you think? Oh, dude, I, the, I remember going to the bathroom of Cokie's and there was like some Colombian warlord there and we did bumps of Coke off a huge fucking Rambo knife nice. that you would dip in a a coffee can filled with blow. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. The... Um, so yeah, no, Cokies was very real. And like the, um, it was one of those things where when I moved to New York, I was like, that can't be. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, how does that? And I was like, oh, police corruption. Right. Yeah, yeah, you didn't calculate that. that. Yeah. That's how it, that's how it happens. Yeah. But I mean, it was, it was packed with, uh, with cross section of hipsters on the weekend. Uh, and you know, the, the owners were straight Colombian, you know, gangsters. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah. I was, uh, finally uh i went back and it closed down i guess finally they stopped paying the right guy off and it closed down and it changed into some other kind of bar and i went in there one night and i was a lawyer working for the city i had my little my little badge on me and stuff and i was i started talking to this guy at the bar and he just handed me a phone number and then the tnt squad raided the place pulled us all out up against the wall they're like what are you doing in here counselor i'm like i'm having a beer you know and they're like yeah get your ass out of here you know it's oh a, it a great new york moment but uh that was yeah. the last time I, I darkened the threshold of that place but I, I i used to i ran another club uh called lux that was um it was like down the street from from cokies yep and uh one night uh people were like man there's cops outside and i was like i'll deal with it and i went out and it was the fucking swat and i was like oh they're like get back inside i was like okay (laughs) and they were raiding the place uh over top of us and it was like a um like an after hours gambling joint Mm -hmm. Uh, and they had like a one-armed bandit and they're bringing out like tupperware containers of cash (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a fun neighborhood 
It's kind yeah. of it's ruined now. It's got a Whole Foods in it. I was going to say we should go visit, but I <laughs> no, think it's it not, the, be the same. not. It's not the same. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, thank you for taking the time. Yeah, me I appreciate good. it. This has and been where, awesome, if, man. Where, where can uh, where can people find you? Yeah, let me. Um, I have a ton of things to plug. Yeah, um, please plug away. I am self-publishing a uh, a collection of my seven best-selling Kindle singles with a bunch of sort of bonus tracks and stuff. The um, so you can pre-order that at mishkashavali.com. The I think I just started a podcast, which I'm super embarrassed Did about. Did you? Awesome. Um, with us, right? right? You're the third wheel. Yes. <laughs> The, I have so far failed to come up with a um, with a title for it, so it's just like Mishka Shivali podcast, which are three words that should never go together. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm at Mishka Shivali on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and YouTube, and you know I'm I'm like the um, the Highlander. You know there can be only one. It can be only where, one where, Mishka. Where can people find your music? The, my music is uh, everywhere, um, Tidal and Spotify, Amazon, Google Play. The But you should buy it at Bandcamp because that's the only way I make any money. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I got to pick up some of, the, some of the names of your bands are great. What were a couple names of the bands before we let you go? Like, the, see, I was in uh, Ribs. I was in Fresh Kills. I right, was in Fresh Beach Kills. Double. Is that the, from the Fresh Kills landfill? Absolutely. Yes, I was like, <laughs> I know what that is. Yep. Uh, you should uh, check out Mishka's solo uh, stuff, though. It's pretty. It's pretty amazing. It's uh, it's there's a little Tom Waits in there, and there's a little uh, all kinds of stuff. It's uh, it's good stuff. And your podcast, uh, probably it would help to get reviews. Gets it up higher in the listing because we, we. Oh always- yeah, absolutely. Right, right now it's only up on uh, Podbean, but it's I just clicked all the things to put it up on uh, iTunes and. Uh, um, you know, sort of every other outlet. So it'll get out there. Um, first two episodes are with uh, JT Habersat, the godfather of punk comedy, and uh, Jake Flores, uh, who is a comedian and podcaster. The And I'm already, like, proud of it. The You know, we talk about funny shit, but also, you know, grief and loss and wow. mental illness and the um, of a couple good super dark episodes coming up. So I'm excited about that. Nice. Awesome. So everybody go out and give Mishka some reviews, give him five stars. I'm going to do the same. And uh, man, I hope to talk to you again soon. You know, if you ever need any advice on podcasting, we've picked up a few things in the past year. I'd be happy. Yeah, to that's talk to that's you. like a marketing, the marketing maven. <laughs> I'm enjoying but, uh, it. I'm enjoying it. We'll drop links to your stuff in our show notes also. So hundred percent. Awesome. Thanks a ton guys. That was really great. <laughs> We've been um, having some technic- we- technical weirdness, guys. So uh, sorry about that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that was awesome. Um, great guy. Good, it was really cool. Conversation. It, it, did we already um, record when I said it was really interesting? No, I think to, we uh, lost all that part. So uh, one thing I wanted to say <laughs> is it, it's been really cool talking to these authors and uh, personalities in recovery after I listen to their books and I read their books and I just get ensconced in, in their work. And then there they are on the computer and it's like it puts in a whole new dimension on it a whole new twist yeah i mean how did he match up to like the picture you had in your head of like what he was like pretty much exactly how i pictured him and and because i've been listening to a lot of his books also he's that voice is very distinctive right very distinctive and it appears to be natural i at first was like (laughs) i at first thought i'm like what's this guy doing is he throwing his voice for like an effect but no 
he's got that you know sailor you know shipwrecked sailor voice and uh, it's gravelly it was very cool to talk to him very excited um we were just going to kind of wrap the show up this week it's late guys it's late we got a late start and we're having technical issues so uh hopefully you enjoy the interview but we're just gonna what are we gonna do we're gonna say goodbye well, that about does it for Thank today. Uh, visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, at Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So tweet us at twat, you twit. Yes. Yes. Support your favorite show. Drop a five-star review. Join our private Facebook group. Buy a t-shirt. We still have some of those. Yep. Or simply write and say hello. We love meeting new monsters and uh, chopping it up top. on the Facebook group. Join the Inner Sanctum at patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages for a higher level of recovery support. Is that a pun? Um, no, but no. it sure sounds like it could be. Um, free merch, bonus video episodes, which eventually we will make, and well, more. This, this is going to be... okay. Oh, right. This will be a bonus video The Mishka episode. interview will be available on Patreon video. We had hoped, I had hoped, yeah. that we would be recording video tomorrow night when we went to see the Jethro Tull show. Right. But it was put off because somebody in the band has COVID. Right. So, so that's not yeah, happening. That but may happen. Much we'll more to come. And finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. If mm-hmm. you get something out of our little show, please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. That's progress, not perfection. <laughs> See you next time. Be good. <laughs>